You know, there are some topics about which the Bible is relatively quiet, whereas Christians tend to be loud. And there are other topics about which the Bible is relatively loud, whereas Christians tend to be quiet. And, to, and our topic today is an example of the latter. Next week, we're going to begin a five-month journey through the book of Hebrews, but today we're going to talk about money. Money was one of Jesus' favorite topics. For us, not so much. But before we talk about money, I want to talk about dragons. In literature, dragons are usually depicted as, as the bad guys. We associate dragons with violence and mistrust and greed. So, um, who besides Martin Reyna is familiar with smog? All right. Smog fans out there. Good. Um, no, smog is a dragon in Tolkien's novel, The Hobbit. Um, so for, for nearly 200 years, smog lived on Lonely Mountain, hoarding piles and piles of gold and gemstones. He was tremendously wealthy, but his wealth served no purpose. Years and years of, of literally sleeping upon a bed of his fortune had embedded precious metals within his scales, which formed an impenetrable external shell. In the book, Smog is described as a most specially greedy, strong, and wicked worm. The name Smog is taken from an old Germanic word, uh, meaning to squeeze through a hole, which is a subtle reference, I think, to the words of Jesus, that it's easier for a camel to squeeze through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So, so that's the image I want to begin with, a tremendously wealthy, greedy dragon sleeping upon his fortune. Now, let's turn to 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction... Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So Paul wrote this letter to the city of Corinth, which was well known in the ancient world as a place of enterprise and wealth and luxury. Macedonia, on the other hand, was desperately poor. In the words of Paul, the Macedonians were extremely impoverished. So Corinth was rich and Macedonia was poor. That's not all. The Corinthians and the Macedonians were also bitter rivals. The two regions had a long history of conflict and competition. And so Paul is actually leveraging that rivalry. He's calling on the Corinthians to give generously by telling them about the generosity of their rivals their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. So a bit of context. As, as Paul was traveling around the ancient world starting new churches, he was also taking a collection on behalf of Christians in Jerusalem. 
the Christians there were facing double taxation and a famine, a deadly famine. And so Paul's churches were taking part in the relief of the saints in Jerusalem. Even the poor churches, like the Macedonians, were taking part in the relief of the saints. In fact, the Macedonians were begging to participate. Despite their own severe test of affliction and extreme poverty, their abundance of joy was overflowing in a wealth of generosity. They gave beyond their means or beyond their ability to give. Why? What what could produce that sort of self-sacrificial generosity? What could compel a poverty-stricken community to beg for the favor of giving their money away? The answer is the grace of God. Verse 7. As you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. For, verse 9, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Christian generosity is grace-motivated grace. Christian generosity is God's grace to us, overflowing in us, extending God's grace to others. The Macedonians were given God's grace for acts of grace, which the Christians in Jerusalem were to receive as God's grace. You see, when we give, we are we are rolling ourselves into God's process for distributing grace to his people. God initiates the grace by providing for us, but we receive that grace with gratitude, and then we steward that grace, and then we get to distribute that grace. Whatever we have, we have because God has given it to us. And we have it because God wants to channel his grace through us. Your bank account, your home, your car, your spare bedroom, these represent the currency of divine grace. Whatever you have is God's grace to you, and he wants you to enjoy it, but he also wants you to extend it and to to share it. Paul says, see that you excel in this act of grace also. He says, keep growing in this act of grace. Keep growing in the grace of Christ-like generosity. Even if you're already generous, keep growing, he says. As you may know, our, our church is pursuing membership within the Anglican Church in North America, the ACNA. Um, so we should all know that the Constitution and canons, and catechisms of the Anglican Church all teach that the biblical tithe is, quote, the minimum standard of giving to the church. 10% is the starting point for giving to the local church. That's not just the teaching of the ACNA, that's the teaching of the scriptures. As God says in Malachi chapter 3, which we read earlier, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, 
says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. And all nations, all nations will call you blessed. God promises, God promises to bless his people when they demonstrate their trust and obedience by bringing in the full tithe. And no, that, that is not prosperity theology. That's the promise of God. But again, e- even for those of us who currently tithe, Paul is challenging us to keep growing, excel in this act of grace. If Christian generosity is grace-motivated grace, then we always have room to grow. Because the well from which we draw that grace is infinitely deep. The well from which we draw the grace of generosity is the gospel itself. Though though Jesus was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. That's an infinitely deep well. His grace will always keep coming. And, And so we must always be growing. What prevents us? What prevents us from excelling in this act of grace? What prevents us from giving like Macedonians? I think the answer, according to this passage, is joylessness. In verse 2, Paul says of the Macedonians, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. For the Macedonians, joy plus poverty equaled generosity. Joy plus poverty equaled generosity. So for Houstonians in 2023, what should joy plus wealth equal? If joy plus poverty equaled generosity in Macedonia, what, what should joy plus wealth equal? equal in Houston. You see, if we are less generous than the Macedonians, it's not because we have less money. It's because we have less joy in Jesus. Less joy in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Everything you could ever want. All the comfort, all the power, all the security you need is found in Jesus Christ. Smog rested upon upon a bed of gold, but you rest upon the riches of Jesus Christ. I have a quick story. It's about another dragon, um, but this time from the Chronicles of Narnia. In The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, there's a a selfish boy named Eustace, and and he stumbles into a dragon's lair and falls asleep on a bed of treasure, just like Smog. Eustace sleeps on a fortune. And when he wakes up, he finds that he has actually been transformed into a dragon. And as a dragon, Eustace is lonely. Eustace is afraid. Eustace is in pain. And and he realizes that he is powerless to change himself back into a boy. But eventually he encounters Aslan, the wise and compassionate and mysterious king of Narnia. Aslan leads Eustace to a garden at the top of a mountain. 
to a well at the center of that garden, and the water in that well has the power to heal. And so Eustace starts to, to peel off his dragon skin. But each, each scaly layer is followed by another scaly layer deeper than the one before. And so Aslan says to him, you will have to let me. And once Eustace surrenders to that idea, Aslan begins the painful process of peeling back those scales. And it is a painful process. And after having washed in the water, after having been baptized, Eustace is restored to his humanity. Brothers and sisters, if if we have grown accustomed to sleeping upon the good things that God has given to us, accustomed to keeping the grace of God to ourselves, it's going to be a painful process. Surrendering that is going to be a painful process. But listen, it's the path to abundant joy. Because Jesus doesn't just peel back our scaly layers, he also invites us to participate in the distribution of his grace. He invites us to become conduits of divine grace. And what could be more joy-enhancing? What could be more joy-enhancing than to know that we are teaming up with God to grow the kingdom, and to change the world. We have freely received the grace of God, and so we are able to freely extend the grace of God. We can excel in this act of grace. We can be ever more generous. I don't know what that looks like for you, and so I'm not going to try to tell you what that looks like for you. But I want to challenge you, in in light of verse 9, to do something to do something this week that stretches you a little bit. Maybe you start tithing to the local church. Maybe you increase what you give away. Maybe you just share a nice meal with a neighbor. Maybe you volunteer once a month at the foster closet. Maybe you offer to deliver tangible items to to needy families in our area. Maybe you ask someone for help with your budget crazy. But we we become more generous by acting generously. If you want to grow your muscles, you exercise your muscles. If you want to grow in generosity, you, you exercise generosity. So consider doing something this week that stretches you a bit. And to close, um, let me say this. Some of us are like the Christians in Macedonia. We may not have much, but we have enough to be generous. Some of us are like the Christians in Corinth. We have far more than we need, and we're being asked to share. But some of us are like the Christians in Jerusalem. We have far less than we need, and we're looking for help. And if that's you... If you have less than you need, I I want you to know that that these brothers and sisters, these brothers and sisters, myself included, have been given to you by God to assist in your provision. 
And that's not just limited to your finances. The Bible commands you to keep working hard, but the Bible commands everyone else to care for you in the meantime. And when that help comes, you are to receive that help as from the hand of God himself. Christian generosity is grace-motivated grace. Christian generosity is God's grace to us, overflowing in us, extending that grace, that divine grace to others. We're invited to roll ourselves into God's process for distributing his grace to his people. What an incredible privilege. Pray with me. Father, you are all we need. You are all we need. Jesus, you have made us rich. Holy Spirit, grant us a a Macedonian-type joy in the gospel. And may it overflow in a wealth of generosity. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.